Welcome to Covenant Life Church, a ministry that is committed to helping you discover Christ's purpose for your life and leading you towards your best existence by providing you with meaningful ways to affect positive change in your world. Join Pastor Shane as he delivers a powerful and inspirational message for your life today. How it is that we are catalysts. This is the, the, the word, the vision word that God gave me for 2020. And I believe that this is the year that the church that, that we are a part of is going to be catalytic in ways like we never have before. Last year, this church grew over 30%. We expanded our ministry footprint all over the world. We saw God do amazing things, saw hundreds of decisions for Christ, saw God fill our services, God do powerful things. But I believe it really is only the beginning. And that God and his plans are bigger and greater than any of us could imagine. As I was thinking about this message this morning, I was reminded of a story. Um, those of you that know where, where we live, we bought a home. And part of the reason we bought the home that we did was because it had this beautiful unfinished attic that already had the subfloor in. And so a few years ago, two or three years ago, we decided that we were going to finish the attic. And so I called one of my friends who attends this church, who happens to be an electrician. I said, hey, would you give me a hand in wiring this, uh, uh, the, the, the attic? Uh, translation, I don't know what I'm doing with electrical stuff. Can you do it? And I'll help you. And so I wasn't much of a help. I turned the ceiling fan on and hit him in the head as he was trying to work. And he's still mad at me because of that. And so anyway, we wanted recessed lighting to be in the ceiling because my wife and I have always loved recessed lighting. It sets a good mood. Just put some nice dimmers on it. So I wanted to put some LED uh, uh, recessed lights in the ceiling. But after we had it installed, I noticed that one of the brand new lights over the corner kept flickering. So I called my friend and I said, hey, I think we got an issue with one of the areas. Everything looks great. It's all working great except this one area. It keeps flickering in the back corner, and I think that there's a short in the wire. He said, short in the wire? I said, that doesn't make any sense. I said, well, it's flickering. I said, it's not like the bulb is out. The bulb works, and it, but it's like it has intermittent power. Could you come out? And he's like, I think it's the bulb because my power is good. And I said, bulb? It's not the bulb. I said, because the bulb is working intermittently. It seems like it's a power problem. He goes, all right, I'll come over. So he comes over with a light bulb, and he walks over to the corner, and he says, which one is it? And I said, it's, well, it's the one that's uh, currently out right now. And he unscrews the light bulb, and he puts the new one in. I said, I'll be darned. I can't believe it. I called an electrician over to change a light bulb at my house. How many pastors does it take to change a light bulb? Apparently, zero, because they have a friend that's an electrician. I was embarrassed. I was humiliated. I looked like a big idiot. I should have trusted that the power was good. I think sometimes that's our functional problem, though, is that we don't recognize that the power source is always good. God's power is consistent. It's always available. It's always actively working. The problem is, is sometimes we're not plugged up the way that we should be. And so our lights flicker. Sometimes they go out. Sometimes they are very dim. And this is a problem, of course, because we need light to live. And we need to be connected with the source of this light to continue to produce the kind of life that we hope to have. 
Our scripture this morning draws us right here to this idea. It's found in Matthew chapter 5. And Jesus is preaching the famous Sermon on the Mount. Many of you may be familiar with this sermon. And really it was not this great mountain. It was kind of more like hills. But Matthew wants us to equate what is happening in this sermon, in this series of sermons, to what God brought to Israel on Mount Sinai through the commandments. But instead of God delivering the commandments to a man to bring them forth, God himself through his son is giving the word of God. And so Matthew wants us to see this as the most important, the most integral, the most uh, uh, vital part of what it means to be a people to whom God is speaking. Early in the sermon, as Matthew tells it, we come across the text that we're going to read today. And it matters to us. It matters to you. It matters to me in very important ways because he's calling us to the idea that I've just talked about, to be connected. And here's the word. Matthew chapter 5, verse 13. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand. And it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. You know the problem with familiarity with a text can be sometimes is we have this tendency, me included, to read, to read through it or to skip past it. A lot of times if I'm reading a book that I've read before and I know what's coming, I'll skip ahead to find what's happening next. And sometimes as readers of biblical texts that we have heard time and time again, we have this tendency to move quickly through it, thinking, oh, I know that one. I've got that. We're supposed to be like salt. We're supposed to be like light. Are we supposed to be like salt? Are we supposed to be like light? No, not exactly, because the scripture says it like this, you are salt. And you are light. It's a direct corollary, which in some sense is by way of analogy, but more so the functional way in which we are called to live is to be like, nope, to be salt and to be light. This is what the Lord wants from us. And I often, when we come to a text like this, it's really important sometimes to understand the context to whom he is speaking. We would expect people that are light to be people that are people of status. People that are uh, powerful. People that have position. But that's not who this message is being heard by, at least in its first telling. 90% of the world in which Jesus is preaching to is barely at survival level or below survival level. 
I think it's something above 90, 93%-ish, are living slightly above subsistence level. That means that they're making it and they might have a little extra for tomorrow. Or at subsistence level, we got enough food for today, we're good. But the majority, below subsistence level. That there are many days that they are going hungry. They are people that are not in the public arena, not in the public court. They are people that are on the margins, but that's where the masses are. Over 90% are being pushed out. And so Jesus is calling to people that for all intents and purposes are anything but what it is that he's describing. You are light to the world. And you can imagine they're looking at themselves and go, he talking to this person? He's talking to that person. And sometimes we miss the way that a text like this would have been somewhat shocking. And he calls them salt. You're the salt of the earth. Now, sometimes the corollary of what these ideas mean can be lost. Like, what is salt to us? Salt's a seasoning. Salt goes well on mashed potatoes, on corn on the cob. Salt goes good in just about everything. And so we understand that salt is good for a lot. But why is Jesus using this word to describe the character of those that are hearing his message? Salt was vital in that time because it was a preservative. And so when Jesus is calling the, those that are hearing, his disciples and the thousands that are listening in on what it is that he is communicating, they recognize the vitality of salt just to survive, that if I've got enough food or to, to live today and tomorrow, I'm going to need a little salt because salt's going to preserve it for the next day. Roman soldiers were actually paid in salt. That's often the way that they receive their wages. And often, it's also true that this is where we get our word salary, salt, salon. It's this idea that salt is something that's to be prized, that is of deep value. And so when Jesus is saying this is who you are. You are the most prized possession that's preserving the world for my glory. You are the, the prize that people want and value because it is necessary to every life. But if it loses its saltiness, it's therefore good for nothing but to be tossed out. Who, by the way, takes a light and... We don't have lights like this back then. I mean, you're talking about lights that would be powered by oil and to cover it with a bowl. What would happen if you covered a light that is in oil with a bowl? The bowl would not catch fire because they were ceramic. It would put the light out. See, there'd be no purpose in light that doesn't illuminate. There'd be no purpose in salt that doesn't season, that doesn't preserve. There's functionally something different then about the life of the believer and the life of those who have not made God Lord of their life. And this is what Jesus is trying to communicate to this first audience. He wants them to know you are the extension of my hope to the world. You are catalytic hope. The kind of hope that initiates change in every environment in which you enter. 
That by virtue of your presence in any environment, that environment is automatically better because of your presence within it. This is the idea that Jesus is trying to communicate to people that do not feel like they have anything to offer to the world. They're survivors. They're people that may have just enough food today or they're maybe trading away the little they have so they can get what it is that they need. These are people that are seemingly anything but what it is that he's describing. And I think this is a powerful message because some of us know what it means to be a survivor, where you've been running kids to practices, where you've been a caretaker of someone that's ill, and you just feel like sometimes in life you're just surviving. You're not thriving. You're just surviving. You're putting on your clothes. You're going from day to day, but functionally, you're just making it. Jesus is calling them and saying, I'm calling you to a life that isn't just making it anymore. I'm calling you out of survival mode and into the mode where you thrive. But you've got to first see you for who you are. Because if you do not recognize the light within you, if you don't recognize the fact that your salts are going to miss it, I'll never forget it. When I was young and I was playing football, I was the second string running back. It was my first year uh, playing on this particular team. And I was one of the younger on this team. And, and we were in the championship game and we were down by six. And the coach called the play and I knew the play when he called it into the huddle. And the ball was going to me. I was second string. The coach was seeing something in me that I hadn't seen in myself. Give it to the guy that's always running. He says, no, in the most critical time, I want the ball in your hands because you give this team the best chance to succeed. And I'm looking around at somebody else because I didn't quite believe even the coach. So I didn't believe I was that good. It's the fundamental problem that all of us have. Don't feel good enough or equipped enough to give the light. Now, these aren't Bible students. These are very common people that are familiar with what maybe the words of the law say, but they're themselves not of the role of a teacher or someone that has the ability to communicate it with eloquence. They know about it. And so Jesus is calling them to something that they can't quite imagine themselves being to remind them that you are, in fact, the hope that the world needs to see. My salvation lived out in present time. My preservation of the world's morality is held in you because you are the moral standard bearers that hold evil in check. You are the lights of the world. You are the salt of the earth. But this kind of catalytic hope, the kind of hope that can cause and accelerate a reaction within the world at large and to bring change wherever it goes requires something of us. And this is really the thrust of Jesus's words to those first hearers of the message and for all of us who have followed since is that we really need to learn to be, to be salt and to be like rather than become. Functionally, the way that we live our lives, and I get why we use the language, we are going to become a Christian because I'm not a Christian. But really, it's being what it is that you're calling to be, not becoming something that you're not supposed or, or, or weren't bef uh, in the beginning. 
Here's what I mean. We are all crafted and made in the image of God. Diverse, age, no matter your, your intellectual capacity, in your humanness, however that humanness finds us today. You can have Asperger's and you're still made in the image of God. You can have autism and you are a beautiful expression of the image of God. You can be of this ethnicity or that ethnicity. You are a beautiful reflection of the image of God. And so when Jesus is saying, be what it is that I've created you to be. And stop becoming what the world has put on you. Do you see the functional difference? Is that God has called for through each part of his creation, his very self. And that's why on Adam and Eve alike, he said, in his image, I created them. Both male and female, distinct, beautiful people that are called out. And so what we need to do is be Christian. Now there is some manner of conversion that comes with that. But really it's calling us back to our original intent. Being what it is that we were always supposed to be in Christ. The new creation that he was forming. Now this is hard truth because they aren't quite sure what it is that this means. Because the world had so muddied the waters that they felt as if that they were outside of God's covenant promise or excluded from it because they were the marginalized over 90% that lived on the outskirts that could never really make a difference, that could never really be light. But when Jesus is calling them to this, Recognize something. They've not had a conversion experience. They didn't have an altar call. These are people that have simply come to hear Jesus, some of which are the disciples, but others that would have come to hear. And he's calling them back to themselves. There wasn't a moment of profession. He was trying to draw them out because he says, when we hide ourselves or we allow the world to cover the light that God has placed in all of us, it's useless. When our life loses its seasoning, its preserving power, and we just sort of flow in the angle that the world is going, Scripture says it's then forth good for nothing to be cast out and be trodden underfoot of man. But I see that's really the functional problem because the world has tried to put its identity on us and mar the image of God that we all bear. You, me, us alike, we are all called to be the image of God, God bearers to the world. People that bring God's glory within it. But the world is more framing our identity, telling us who we are. And when we believe the lie, we become what it is that we've never we're called to be. Or as Edmund Burke once said, the only thing for evil triumph is for good folks to do nothing. And when we do nothing about the tide of evil that's rising up, we become like the useless salts. Or akin to the bowl that has covered over the light. Like what... Uh, Marianne Williams says, she says, there is within us our deepest fear, and it's not that we are inadequate. 
Our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure. It is our light, not our darkness, that most frightens us. We ask ourselves, who am I to be brilliant, or gorgeous, or talented, or fabulous? Actually, who are you not to be? You are a child of God. And when we recognize the fact that we are the children of God, meant to reflect the glory of God, then no matter what we feel like our status is or whether we feel like we're good enough, we recognize that we are doing something here. Let me put it to you like this. The moon is a light that governs our night. True? The moon, though, has no light of itself. It is merely a reflection of what? The record. The record says that there is a constant light on someone in the world. And so long as the moon is outside of the, 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 the blocking power of the world, the moon illuminates. And so the moon is a light to us. In a similar way, when we remove ourselves from what the world is trying to impose upon us as far as our image is concerned, we are best able to reflect the light of God in the darkness and to be a pathway for those that need to see. But we've got to recognize that we are the light that is sourced from a constant power source to which we must always remain connected. Because when our light becomes a little loose, it doesn't illuminate. When it is not placed within the power source, it will not work. When salt is left in a salt shaker, it's useless until it's applied to its meat or its vegetable or it's wound. You are the salt. Some years ago, I was 18 at the time, and I was in the army, and I'd gone to some services. I committed my heart to Christ as a teenager, and now I'm serving our country in the military. And I remember being at a worship service several times, and there was this worship leader who was there that had, at that particular point in my life, I'd not heard anybody that could lift the rafters like this fellow. He could sing and he could play. He was incredibly talented. He was in his 20s and he decided to join the army because there's lots of his life that hadn't gone the way that it should. And I remember hearing him and going, man, wow, this guy has a gift. And I was sitting down at a bench and as chance happened, he sat with me and we were having a conversation and soon the conversation started going sideways and he started telling me about different things that he wanted to do. He wanted to go out and, 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 and meet up with some girls and I don't even want to mention the nature of the conversation because it was salacious. It was not becoming of somebody that I just saw. I said, bro, you're a hypocrite. He says, what are you talking about? How dare you judge me? I said, I'm not judging you. I said, and by the way, the scripture says that I will know you by my fruit. Here you are singing Jesus' praise in church one minute. And five minutes later, you're talking about the things that you want to do that have nothing to do with Jesus. That if you go and do that stuff, you're going to demean and defame the name to which you are called. Fresh and salt water don't flow from the same spring. If you're going to be this, then be this. But stop fronting for everybody and pretending to be something you're not. Either you are this or you're not. You're going to have to decide. But quit being a poser. 
He's like, man, I'll fight you right now. I said, look, I ain't trying to fight you. I said, man, I'm trying to love you because God has something bigger for your life. And the truth is, is that you're messing it up by the way you're letting all this other stuff get in your life. You become disconnected from the source. And no matter how good you sing, you never can lead somebody where you ain't been. He walked away from that conversation. He was mad, mad. Ten days later, he comes back. He says, bro, you're right. I've been living sideways and my lights come disconnected. Would you pray for me? What I was doing was calling him back to himself. And this morning, I want to call you back to yourself because I know that what you need is to be connected to the source because in that source is where provision is. In that source is where miracles happen. In that source is where the blind see and the deaf hear. In that source is where everything that you need and desire is found. But that's what the world is always trying to do is disconnect or hide your lights. Don't talk about Jesus on the job or we will fire you. Don't tell your neighbors because about Jesus because it's offensive and they're trying to put out your lights they're trying to desalinize your salt and you can't let them because if they do they will rob you of the very greatest gift that you and I possess the light always draws from its source but it must be connected to its source which brings me to our second point is that we've got to stop borrowing truth Proverbs 23 and 23 says it like this. Buy the truth and sell it not. Also, wisdom and instruction and understanding. That's what we are to go after, that we are to buy the truth and sell it not. But the world is bent on making you and I sellouts to what we know is true. Talking about how God did not author the creation with his mouth. Trying to tell us that God is not the way of our hope. That our hope is in a political system that's so divided and broken that there's no way we could ever find real hope within it. It's that borrowed truth that tries to show us that there is a way that isn't the way. Figure it out with your own intellect. That's borrowed truth that will ultimately not do you well. But borrowed truth is also an inability to apply what it is that we know in very personal ways. When we're telling someone else's story instead of telling God's story in us. Telling about how it's happened for someone else but not owning the truth for ourselves. What do I mean? It's about putting faith into practice. It's about you praying for your neighbor and watching God help them. It's about you extending mercy, maybe through groceries, to a poor person that needs it. It's not about a borrowed truth about someone else doing it, but you being someone that owns it. Being tested in the fire and come out clean on the other side, not even smelling like smoke. To put your faith in God when it's difficult. This is what's going on at this time. The Pharisees, they knew all about the word. Jesus says, woe unto you, you scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You go over land and sea to create one convert. And when you have found them, you make them twice the sons of hell as you. This is Jesus' words. Now, they knew the Bible, but it was borrowed truth because they couldn't live in it. 
And what the Pharisees were doing was putting heavy yokes on people, trying to say that religion and righteousness looks like this. You've got to come to church, and if you wear makeup, you do not belong here. If you wear a long uh, uh, pants and you're a woman, you don't belong. You remember those crazy things? It is not about what you wear or what you put on your face. It's about what's in your heart. So you come just as you are and let God shine his light through you. And do so in a manner that would reflect his glory, his love for those he is desperately trying to reach through your hands. The Pharisees were good at putting heavy yokes and telling people what righteousness looks like. But it's all borrowed truth because they didn't understand the principle of the law. That it was more than thou shalt not steal. But if you saw your neighbor in want instead of stealing from him, You're providing every necessity he needs to flourish. So there is no need to steal. We see this work out in scripture. Those of you that know your Bible remember the story in Acts 19 about the Jewish sons of a rabbi named Sceva. Sceva was a, 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 a high priest actually that knew how to cast out demons supposedly and so his sons were going out and doing what it is that their father apparently was teaching them to do and Acts 19 tells the story about how they showed up at one man's house and he was possessed by a demon and they came to pray for him and they said in the name of Jesus who Paul preaches I command you to come out and the demon spoke through the person and said Jesus, I know. Paul, I've heard of. Who are you? And they whipped those boys, stripped them naked, and sent them running. One demon-possessed person sent seven others running. Why? Because they were borrowing truth. This is Paul's word. This is Jesus' word. It's not God's word inside of me. Do you see the difference? When we borrow truth, we're trying to live on somebody else's faith. When we're borrowing truth, we are reciting something that we've heard, but not something that we have paid the price to possess. It's about walking out our faith and trusting that God is going to bring something through it. Because that's the kind of light that people need to see. About being connected to the socket so when it's time to pray, the power and the light flow easily. Lights don't work without a power source. And salt doesn't work if it's been desalinized. And we have to recognize that in this season of our time, in this culture, that that's the world's aim, is to extinguish your light, to remove from you your saltiness so that your faith in turn becomes powerless. That's the aim. But there's another story in scripture that's quite different. It's found in Acts chapter 17, just a couple chapters before. The disciples are showing up to Thessalonica, but they're showing up in a different way. Because they've prayed prayers for sick people and watched them get well. They had raised the dead. They had converted the masses to their faith. Now remember who these people are. These are those that were barely surviving at one point that are coming into their selves and beginning to thrive. And when they show up in Thessalonica, these very common, very poor, very 
pushed aside group of people show up. And this is what they say in Thessalonica when they show up. Those that have turned the world upside down have come here also. Those that have turned the world upside down, how do they turn it upside down? By being light and by being salt. By showing up and knowing the truth. The truth that sets people that are in bondage free. By living the truth and walking in its power. This was the transformational thrust of the apostles' message. And also the call that God has brought to us this morning. That we are called to be catalysts that illuminates our world. Or to put it differently, let your light so shine before others that they may see your good works and glorify God in heaven. The simple truth in this message is this, is that when we are living the way that we are all to, when we are living the kind of faith that God has called us to, where miracles are happening and good works are bounding forth, that we should live it in such a way that it causes the world to have to celebrate what God is doing through you and to celebrate what God has put inside of you. And in turn, it's calling them to do the same to partner in this movement that begins to transform the world in which it exists within. The city that's set on a hill cannot be hidden because you're the light of the world. What is a city but a, 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 a culmination of many lights? It's always interesting that when you're flying over an area at night and you always can tell when you're coming close to a city because you'll see all of these little luminaries, the street lights and house lights compacted in a particular area. This is what Jesus says the church should be as a city that is illuminated with his glory and presence. This is the church. Where we, the collective whole of God's grace and glory, bound forth. Where you, as a part of the body of Christ, are not tolerated, but celebrated. Celebrated because of the image of God that you bear. And in this place where we call each other to better bear what is already in us to bear. This is what it means. We got to learn to let it shine. The light shine. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Oh, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. That's the call of the church. To let shine what God has placed within us. To be what it is he has formed us to be. And stop becoming what the world says that we should. They want us to be more politically correct. It's just another way. Hide the light. They want us to become more tolerance. And I'm not hating on tolerance, but what I am is hating on the kind of tolerance that's trying to stifle the message of hope for a generation. That's not tolerance. That is murderous. Because the only hope of the world is Christ. The church is that city. 
And God is calling all of us back to it, that you are the catalyst in your communities. You are the hope of salvation to your neighborhood. You are the answer to the prayers of the woman that's three doors down. You are the gospel present to everywhere that you go. But I fear because of insecurity or uncertainty that we are afraid to really let it shine. What will the cashier think of me if I ask her what her prayer needs are and offer to pray for her as I'm walking out of the store? What will the waiter think of me if I'm bold and they ask me what my order is and says, hey man, we're getting ready to pray over this meal and I want to pray for you as I pray. What will they think of me? And we put all of these boundaries up and we sort of exist in a world where we're just trying to blend in. Lights don't blend. They light. Salt doesn't make bland and normal and ordinary. It makes extraordinary and seasons and preserves and that's who you are. And that cowardice cannot stand anymore in this world or in this place because God is calling us as a community to be that kind of light to our world because the only Jesus they may see is in you. The only hope of their salvation is in your witness. The only opportunity they may ever have for healing is your prayers. It's when we live that expression that really we find the kind of impact that God intends through the light and the salt of his creation. Because the way the world works, many of us have been deprived of that light-giving oxygen that would keep a gas lamp illuminated because we've allowed the bowl to cover. We've allowed a doubt to rob us of our faith. We've talked ourselves out of taking the bold step because we don't feel equipped enough with our education to be able to really share the truth. But when you recognize that the light of Christ is in you and you recognize what scripture says that when you don't know what to say that the spirit will give you exactly what it is that you need to say in the hour that you need to say it. You just need to go out and say something because God's word will give you what it is that you need to say if you lean in and pray because you aren't the source of the power. It always comes from God and so he'll make sure whatever needs to be communicated and you can say all the right thing. Can I tell you God's so awesome that even if you say everything wrong he can translate it in somebody else's head to mean something completely different than when you said but what he wants you to do is to say something what he wants you to do is to pray something what he wants you to do is walk in boldness and believe that God can use someone like you call the worship team back up you are the catalyst for change in this city you are the catalyst to bring change to your family You're the catalyst for change at Walmart, Target, and at Starbucks. And God has called us to be like those that come into a city and turn it upside down. The light that illuminates from CLC and carry 
is turning it upside down. It's spreading into Raleigh and turning it upside down into Durham and Chapel Hill and Pittsburgh and Holly Springs and Apex and Garner and Fuquay Arena. And then to the whole state of North Carolina. And then to the whole country of the USA. And into Canada and Mexico and Honduras and El Salvador. It's spreading like wildfire. That's how it happened then. And that's what I believe God is trying to do in this time and in this hour. And what he is saying to you this morning and to me this morning is you are the salt of the earth. And you are the light of the world. Stay connected to the source. Because I'm your power to be it. And to season it. I received a phone call this week from a lady I've pastored for a long time. And she says to me, Pastor, i got to tell you a story. I said, come on, sister, give it to me. I says, Pastor... I am not telling a lie when I tell you this story. You know how I am. But I was walking out of my car in the Target parking lot the other day. and You know, I don't get along as good as I used to. But I looked across the parking lot as I was walking the long distance to where it is I needed to go and was hobbling my way towards it. I see this young lady. Just You could see the darkness she was trying to walk through. I could see she was murmuring something with her lips. I could feel, even at a distance, the presence of the darkness that she was trying to walk out of but didn't know how. So I just began to pray for this stranger and I just began to rebuke the enemy from her life and say, Satan, you have no power over this person. That is God's creation. I call her to herself in you. And I pray that every bit of darkness that's surrounding her would would just go away. And she's just kind of praying silent prayers. Maybe barely audible. But not loud. This woman's clear across the parking lot. She can't even hear it. But she said she could feel something beginning to shift in the locked eyes. And when the locked eyes, the sister said, I just stretched my arms out like this to a stranger. And she said that young girl, she hurried her pace, probably 22 or 23 past her. And she fell into the arms of this stranger. And I just began to just hold her like a mama and just began to pray over her. And I said, baby, I said, do you know Jesus? She said, I've been to church a time or two. She said, I didn't ask you if you've been to church a time or two, but do you know him? She says, I don't feel like I do. And she led a woman to Christ in a parking lot that she saw at a distance, that she reached her hands out in love, that she was praying for before she ever even knew who she was. God used her to be a moment of transformation and peace and hope because she knew and recognized simply that she was light. There's part of me that wants to say there's nothing special, but there absolutely is something special about the light that you bear and about its ability to connect to that source. And when it is, it help, can't help but illuminate the world. This morning, I'm calling you back to your connection calling you to tighten that bulb a little bit. Maybe to 
take it out of your pocket or uh, find it from within the closet that it is and put the bulb back in its place because the power is good. And even if your bulb is broken, God can heal that too and cause broken filament to come back together that can cause the, his glory to bound forth through every aspect of that bulb so that it illuminates the world to which it is called to light. God's love is lightening upon you this morning and he's calling you back to yourself. In your bulletin when you came in, there was a little card on it that said Catalyst. And on the back, there's a spot, seven spots or so. Those empty spots are opportunities that the Lord is trying to give you this week to be salt and to be light. At work, I'm going to be light to these coworkers. At work, I'm going to tell my boss that I've been praying for them at work. You know, seven spots for you to imagine ways in which God is calling you through this message. Very tangible and practical way to call you to something. You can have your Holy Spirit hit list and you're going to name seven people that you're going to pray for this week. Seven people that you're going to invite to church. Seven people that you're going to push to get involved in God's work beyond this moment. It's an opportunity. But an opportunity is only as good as our ability to take it. If I held out $50, that is an opportunity. It only becomes powerful to you if you come up and grab it. And then only becomes powerful to you further when you use it. It represents something and in a similar way, that is what God is calling you to do with that list. Is to use it. Because people need the light that you have. And I believe that if we are purposeful about this, that not only will this service be full, but the one in the next service that's already full would be full more full. And we'll have to have four and five and ten and fifty and build bigger buildings and plant more churches and build more kingdom because we are the lights. We are the sun. Heavenly Father, I just pray supernaturally for you. Join Pastor Shane of Covenant Life Church next time for another powerful and inspirational message. To find out more about Covenant Life Church, log on to www.covenant-life.com or call 919-462-1932. Remember, living life without direction is meaningless. Living a purpose life with direction from Jesus Christ is your life fulfilled.